the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, uh, privilege, honor, and delight to have Rabbi Pinchas Salush with us as we close most Fridays with him uh, when he is uh, in town. Rabbi Alush is the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on uh, Shea Boulevard, where he uh, likes to say everyone is welcome, Jewish, not Jewish. Uh, religious, not religious, by however way you want to define that term. He is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, where he puts uh, out about a podcast a week. Uh, there are just a few minutes, but uh, they really get you thinking. You know, I, w- I want to talk to you about two of your more recent ones, Rabbi, but first of all, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Delight being here. Thank you, Seth. Delight having you. You probably have this effect and don't know it on a lot of people, but, you know, my drives into work on Friday are different than all my other. Why is this day different from all other days? Friday is when I know you're coming in because usually on my drive into work, I'm listening to a news podcast or I'm listening to news radio on this station uh, just to keep up with stuff and keep the brain engaged and in gear. But on Fridays, I noticed I noticed this today, and it's it's been true of the last However many months we've been doing it, just it's something I focused on today. I was thinking I, I, I don't have anything on when I come in. I'm thinking about what I want to talk to you about. Mm. And it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's kind of maybe a template for having something holy in your life. It puts you in a different state of mind if you know you're going to be approaching or discussing something in a holy situation. So at least for my drives in on Friday, Rabbi, you have that effect on me. You put me in a different frame of mind. I know you have that effect on your congregants too. But it's a larger message. You know, people may want to think about add a little, not as the song says, tenderness, but holiness. Right. Right. Well, first of all, I'm honored and humbled that you, you would say that. And, you know, the line that comes to mind is the Debussy, Claude Debussy line that Music is the silence between the notes. Mm-hmm. So I know that this world provides a lot of notes, but very few provide some silence. So I'm happy that you are providing, not I am, but you are providing well, for yourself some silence. I'm grabbing it. I'm grabbing it knowing that I'm – well, I'm, you put me in a contemplative, a different, a different plane of, of contemplation, and uh, it requires kind of blocking out some of the normal uh, noise of the day. Right, some right. of some of the noise of the day that Debussy wasn't talking about. <laughs> you you quote Debussy; he must be a butt, uh, on your mind. You quote him in your podcast. Yes, yes. Well, you, well, first of all, he was French, yeah. and you know, I was so born of course, in France. Yes, he's a Lunsman. So there's a Lunsman. That's correct. Secondly, I think that his music was really unique in the sense that it's very meditative. Okay. And uh, you know, there's all sorts of. I play the piano myself, so. I played Debussy also growing up, and I connected to his music in that sense. I did not know you played the piano. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. I had no idea. <laughs> Maybe we could do something together someday. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I, tr- I, great. I try and play the trumpet. Oh, very I don't say good. I play the trumpet. I try and play. <laughs> well, the me trumpet. too. I try and play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to get into a couple interesting um, thoughts. I uh, I think you shared in your podcasts over the last couple of weeks. First of all, something I didn't even know existed. From your May 25th podcast, Will You Marry Me? On Our Relationship with God is the subtitle. 
And you start with something I had no clue about, and I'll let you talk about this, but I looked it up, and son of a gun, it's true. Pro- why wouldn't it be? But there is this thing called proposal planners. I'd never heard of such a thing. Right. So well, Marriage or wedding proposal planners. Right, right. So it occurred to me a few years ago that there is such a thing. I also wasn't aware that these marriage proposal proposal, proposal planners yeah. exist. But uh, I had a friend who hired a marriage proposal planner, which is basically someone who comes and tells you how to propose to Orchestrates your Orchestrates a whole scene and staging and That's clothing. Right. And That's right. And, of course, the – the, there are different packages. I've seen it so too. So you have yeah. very lavish ones yes. where people jump out of helicopters yes. and, and you have all sorts of shows. Yeah. But to me, it, uh, it, it seems to take away from the actual soul of the proposal. Uh, as it is, I think in life altogether, the more the noise, the less soul or the less, uh, f- uh, the, the less opportunity for the soul really to express itself. It's interesting that we have reached a point where we've 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 long come become used to wedding planners, but the idea that even a proposal planner is needed at this point, the idea that you need this kind of extra additional adornment to encourage a loving relationship, that's kind of what you get into on the podcast, right? That you need to pay someone uh and add lavishments or blandishments to the entering of uh, a sacred, loving relationship is, is a strange commentary on our time. Absolutely. And it begs the question, can we not appreciate the soul without a body? Can we not appreciate art without frame? Mm-hmm. And can we not appreciate love without marriage proposals? Mm-hmm. That's, that's really the question. It reminds me, if you'll allow me, we spoke yeah. about music beforehand. Yeah. But it reminds me of that experiment that the violinist Joshua Bell, one of the best violinists in the world, uh, once experimented in Washington, D.C. I believe it was in January of 2007. He, uh, the night after a sellout concert, he went to the most busy uh, subway station of D.C. And he stood there at 7.30 in the morning during rush hour. And he was playing the exact same piece that he had played the night before. I'm sure you're familiar with that experiment. And uh, he was playing for 45 minutes or something like that. And very few people stopped to listen to the music that people play, uh, paid hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars, to listen to the night before. Right, right. And he deducted that it is indeed a badge of shame on yeah. our society that people cannot stop and appreciate the music within. Yeah. And in a way, I think that that is – there's a parallel there between his deduction, his conclusion – and these marriage proposals that really take away from the music within. Yeah, that's inter- that, That's a great story. And probably all of us have some example of that in our lives. We've thought about, oh, that was so-and-so, you know, the familiarity of it. But, but it also reminded me of not only the adornments we have to attach to the proposal, but to the marriage ceremony itself. And we see this, too. It's been talked about for many years with uh, the young child, young boys coming of age bar mitzvah ceremonies. One rabbi said they tend to be more bar and less mitzvah, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's well said. Well said. And it's true, I think, in every area of life, marriages. I think it's true in relationships altogether. I had a father come to see me just about two weeks ago complaining that his teenage son doesn't want to speak to him. And he says to me, well, I gave him an open credit card. I gave him a car. All I asked is that he doesn't see me that often because he doesn't like my new wife. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, well, 
your son doesn't want your free money. He doesn't want your car. He doesn't want your mansion. He wants you. And you're not giving him you. So we have this thing called noise in relationships. And we think that the noise will solve all of the problems in our relationship when it's actually the opposite. It's the silence. That you, that soul, that true love that doesn't necessarily come with noise, but it comes with the silence between the notes, so to speak. It seems to me that in all the landscapes one can imagine on God's green earth, the desert is probably the quietest, the most silent of them. I'm just thinking out loud with you. And you relate uh, you relate in your podcast this notion of love not needing all the noise and all the accoutrements that so much so God put the people through this desert experience in his proposal or, if you will, wedding to us. Do I have something about right in there? That's and right. that would be about the quietest place you could find on earth. That's right. Indeed. That's why God picked the desert uh, to give us the Ten Commandments and, and thereafter the Torah in. Because the desert indeed is the quietest place. It's the most reflective and meditative place. And that what is what is needed in every relationship a place where both me and the person I love can come together in silence and love truly in silence. That is worth so much more than any noise made in relationships. And the noise could be outside, but something we've talked about before, maybe not the exact phrase, is the, um, the noise in our own heads we have to get rid of as well. That's an easy thing to uh, fall, fall, tempta- fall, fall victim to. Maybe it relates to your next podcast having to, that we'll talk about having to do with the distant spirits of folly, a phrase of yours I wrote down. But the noise in our own head needs to be suppressed as well or eliminated. That's correct. There are all sorts of noise. Noises. There are noises from without that we've been speaking about. There are noises in our heads. And I will say there are noises in our hearts too. Our emotions make a lot of noise too. Yeah. And those are the noises that need to be silent in order to discover our deeper self. Let's pick up on that when we come back. A few more questions about uh, that podcast, though, on the proposal and the wedding. And is there a connection to the idea that God is wedding himself to the people as well? Um, marriage, proposal, wedding to the people, the relationship, but not necessarily between man and woman, but man and, and woman and God, if you will. Can we pick up on that? Absolutely. We'll come back. Rabbi yes. Pinchas Salush is my guest, uh, head of the um, congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-E-I-L-L-A-H. That's right. Very good. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Rabbi Pinkas Salush is my guest in studio, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He hosts the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, three minutes that will uh, change your day, certainly, and likely your week, month, could change your life. Uh, it's been nice to see some of the feedback we've been getting about the words that you have uh, used that have pierced and entered other people's hearts uh, on 
serious life issues. So uh, That's thank right, you for doing that. That's a small correction yeah. Seth, that we have used. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a dial tone here. I'm just a, you're, you're, I'm, a, I'm asking the questions. Heaven forfend you were to ask me a few. It wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't work out quite so well. Uh, the notion of the proposal uh, of the people – and God, the wedding of God to his people and people to God, the proposal that took place in the desert. What is this notion of, of, of that, being married to God, in a sense, if you will? Is there a notion of that? There's, there's that I want to ask you about, and if this helps or you want to separate it out, there's also the notion of the Sabbath bride, too, isn't there? And it's that related. That, I threw a lot at you. No, that's right, and you're right. There is that notion of the Sabbath bride, which is connected to that relationship that we have with God, uh, which is a kind to a spousal relationship. And indeed, there are many metaphors to our relationship with God. Some use the servant-to-master relationship, some the child-to-parent relationship. But there is also a dimension of our relationship with God that is more like a spousal relationship because uh, at the end of the day, we are partners with God in making this world a better place. We come in this as one God has to do his side, and we have to do our side of the partnership. In a way, it's like a marriage. In marriage, two people come in order to uh, partner for a greater purpose, whether it's for a home or for children or for the world altogether. Now, just like in any relationship, that relationship has to be based on both love but also on respect. Love comes into play when I can connect to an element in my spouse that I, I fully understand and therefore I can love. And respect comes into play uh, when there is an element in my spouse that I cannot understand, yet I have to respect for my spouse just to be. Same with God. Sometimes I can understand God and therefore love God. Sometimes I can't understand God, yet I have to respect God's infinite ways. And in a way, that's really what a spousal relationship is about. Thus, this comparison between me and my spouse and God and myself, myself and God as spouses in one relationship. Yeah, the symbiosis of that is interesting in the sense, too, that in most wedding ceremonies there will be such a thing known of as vows. And uh, we, we, we make those in, in, in probably different terminologies with God, too, when we obey the commandments and laws. These are promises we get for him in return for our commitment to maintaining the you know, there's a covenant with God, but there's also a marriage covenant too, isn't there? That's right. That's right, exactly. The flip side of that, though, is that if sometimes I do not understand God, yes, I do have to respect, but I can question God. Yeah. I can say, well, okay, I, I respect what you did, but I still can't understand it. Why would you do such a thing? Mm-hmm. As I would say to my spouse in a healthy relationship. So there is that element of open conversation, but at the end of the day, we are married and nothing in the world can break that marriage. They're so tied. If I, I rarely go into public policy with you, but they're so tied together. Something we did touch upon a week or so ago, Rabbi, that notion of uh, the relationship between God and human and human and human in, in, in the context of, a, of, of, a, of a, mar- a wedding and a marriage, that I was lamenting the problems of our society from about a generation ago they happened in concert with the breakup of both. Religious attendance is at a historic low. Mm. So is marriage. It's, it, they, they seem to be tied in public policy as much as they do in 
shall we say, theology, your side of the street and my side of the street, they've, they both seem to be tied together for right. better when they are and for worse when they aren't. That's right. And to broaden the picture, I would say that commitment mm-hmm. altogether, whether commitment to God or commitment to my spouse or even commitment to my children or commitment to friendships. Look, people break friendships over politics, over, over trivial stuff. So, so the general idea of commitment, I would say, and I don't know the statistics, but I would, I would guess the general idea of commitment is also at an all-time low. Yeah. And we live in a society where when it's broken, we just don't fix it. We go to Home Depot and we get a new one. Yes. No, that's right. Uh, I, I like to talk about how um, things that were once seen as durable have now become seen as so very easily disposable mm-hmm. and that that's such a tragedy, uh, not only with important commitments, not only with behavior, not only with gifts that we are given, sometimes spiritual, sometimes physical, but with relationships almost more than any other. You see things that were meant to be durable treated as so disposable mm-hmm. uh, out of, I don't know if it's a selfishness. I don't know if it's the frenzy we're put in the world. I don't know if it's a, we're always looking for something better. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's ego and we think there's something better or that we're too easily offended. Right. We we are. Maybe it's the openness of the world. I'll yeah. add another layer yeah. that is so tempting, so distracting, distracting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and 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 makes us, you know, like like fish. Yeah. And why do I say like fish? Because in in the Jewish midrash, there is a comparison to fish. Because fish, when it rains, go to the surface of the water to drink from the rain. And the midrash asks us a good question. But they surrounded with water. Yeah. Why do they need to go and drink the rain? And the answer is because the rain is new, mm-hmm. and they're attracted to the newness of the water. Interesting. And in a way, we're very much like that sometimes. Yeah. We, we're big into the, the, the new things of the life. The distraction. Right. Let's yeah. get the new iPhone. Let's mm. get the new mattress or the mm. new but, – but where is that commitment to yeah. that which we've always had Yeah. that we don't find much, unfortunately? Yeah, consistency. What was it your teacher told you? What was right. it? That I asked my beloved teacher, Abba Steinsaltz, of blessed memory, if he had to condense the message yeah. of Judaism into one word, yeah. he used the word consistency. Yeah, it's consistency, keeping things durable, keeping it, yeah, keeping mm-hmm. them together. Is it true fish never sin? <laughs> something about that? <laughs> That's it. From Noah's right. Ark or something? Yeah, they have their Deep eye. in the recesses of my <laughs> stem back here, I seem to recall something about yeah, that. Yeah, speaking of fish. They may seek new water, but they don't sin. Or do they? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. So they say. So they so, say. Never. How would we know? <laughs> <laughs> but but in, they were spared, right? <laughs> they were spared. The fish were spared uh, from the flood waters from... Uh, drowning in the flood waters because I I, they can swim. <laughs> I, I found a button with you here, evidently. There's a popular show on TV called Ted Lasso, and uh, one of the most famous things that has come out of his show is a quote of his. It turns out, I think, not to be true. I don't know how the heck someone could have studied it, mm-hmm. but one of his most famous lines is he tries to be like a fish. Fish only have a memory that lasts five seconds, which is why he's not easily offended, he said. <laughs> you know, he has a memory like a fish. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah How yeah. would you study that? I don't know. Someone, <laughs> some pescatologist figured it out. Right. <laughs> and it's, by the way, it's very much connected to what we're speaking yeah, about. Yeah, Because we have a memory of five seconds, eight seconds, yeah. a memory of a goldfish, they say, yeah. which which – doesn't enable us really. It, it stops us from developing the relationships that we yeah. 
we have and yeah. we ought to cherish. Yeah. It seems there's a proportion to the importance of memory. You want a short one for some things and a long one for other things, but each one can also get you in trouble. Too long of a memory. Holding on to a grudge. That would be an interesting mm-hmm. That's conversation correct. for us. But let me – I want to take us to your next podcast, uh, if I can, why there's uh, – the, it's a discussion about sin, which is really interesting, and the various words uh, that Judaism has for it and the concept built around that. Can we do that? Absolutely. We'll t- sure. Rabbi Aleutian, I'll be – Right back, uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefila in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard and uh, the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Taking your more recent uh, podcast on the nature of sin, Rabbi, you start with a Hasidic story. Uh, from one of the more famous uh, uh, Hasidic uh, 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 teachers, leaders, scholars, Nachman of Breslov. And the, 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 the tale is, it's a story about how a person doesn't sin unless folly, foolishness enters and how to egress from that. Would you tell that story? I love you. Sure, I yes. Love, everyone loves <laughs> Once Upon a Time. No, it's a great story. It's a great story about a prince who one day woke up and he thought he was a rooster. And the king did not know how to cure him. And he asked all of uh, his kingdom, if there's a wise man who can come and cure my son who now thinks he's a rooster, please come. And a wise man showed up, and he shows up to lunch, and he sees that the prince is acting like a rooster. He's under the table eating the crumbs and making the noises of a rooster. So this wise man says, I, I know how to cure your son. You don't have to worry, a king. He goes under the table with the prince who thinks that he's a rooster, and he says to him, hello, I'm your fellow rooster. I also am a rooster just like you. He unclothes himself. He eats crumbs from the floor. And then the next day he goes back during lunchtime, acts like a rooster, and he says to the prince, well, we're both roosters, but who says roosters can't get dressed? Let's get dressed. They get dressed. And the next day he comes back for lunch. He says, well, who says roosters have to eat crumbs? Maybe we can eat proper food. So they eat proper food. The next day he comes back and says, who says, who says roosters have to be under the table? Maybe we can sit around the table like everyone else. They sit around the table. And slowly but surely, he brings him from his lowliest lows to his highest highs. And he makes him realize that he's really a prince and not a rooster. And part of that tale... I, there's there's a, a story. It's, it doesn't have a Hasidic. I don't think it has a Hasidic origin. Um, the story was told of um, related to that. I, I thought the story would go this way, and it didn't. But it, I think has the same meaning of a man who falls into a manhole mm. and uh, can't get out. And uh, a doctor walks by, and the man in the manhole screams up for the doctor to help him out. And the doctor says, "I'm really very busy and in a rush." And he throws down a prescription. And um, then a religious leader, it could be a priest, it could be a rabbi, it could be a minister, walks by, and the man shouts up for him to help, and he says, I'm really very, very busy, but I'll say a prayer for you. Mm. And then he sees uh, an old friend of his named Joe walking by, and he yells up to Joe and says, I need your help. And Joe jumps into the pit with him, mm. and the person says, well, you fool. Now, we're both stuck here, and Joe says, no, 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 it's that I've been down here before, and I know the way out. Mm. And that seems to be implied in that Bratslav or Bratslaver story as well. You also have to get – you have to be able to relate to someone too. You have to kind of be where they're at if you're going to help them a little bit, I think, a exactly. little bit. You uh, can't – anyway, go ahead. No, absolutely, exactly. You have to have 
empathy. Yeah. You have to feel the person in order to pull him out of his trouble. In fact, there are many uh, other great stories, but one great story is about this rabbi of 200 years ago uh, who was known as Rabbi Dov Bear. He would sweat profusely when he had private audiences with people who would seek his counsel to the point that he had to change four times during his private audience. And one day someone asked him, why, why do you change so many Why do you sweat so much? And he said, well, it's very simple. The f- when someone comes with, to me with a problem, I have to unclothe myself and dress myself in his clothes. Yeah. But then if I stay in his clothes, I can't think of a solution. So I have to undress myself again, go back to my rabbi clothes. And then he has to unclothe himself again because he has to not implement the solution that he just thought of. Uh-huh. So he goes back into his clothes. And then he has to come back to be a rabbi. So that's number, f- that's, <laughs> that's number four. I, and I'm, I'm thinking your dry cleaner must like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not at the level of that. <laughs> But that that is indeed true. One cannot you cannot help the other if you cannot feel the other. So in a lot of these cases we're talking about mistakes, we're talking about foolishness, foolish behavior. But as you put it in your podcast, there's comes this concept of sin, which is a little bit different in Judaism than Christianity. But Jews have very in Judaism there are various words for it. Some might think of the word do it for me, Chet. Chet, that's correct, which really does not mean sin. There is no word for sin in Hebrew. Chet, the word that we use for sin in Hebrew, really means to miss the mark. And that's because we recognize that when a person sins, he's only missing the mark. He's deviating from his true, inherently good self. Let me pick up on that with you when we come right back. This was a short segment. We'll have a longer one coming back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, Congregation Beth Tefillah on uh, Shea Boulevard and host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we were talking about uh, traditional Jewish views of sin. No word for sin per se. The word that you most often would hear would be hate. Say it again. I can't. There That's you go. correct. Okay. Yes. I, I don't have it. I, I don't have the what the guttural or something. <laughs> the deep throat. Yeah, I, not oh. yet. <laughs> but um, okay. So it's about missing the mark. You're saying. That's correct. Think of an archer, uh, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, you you miss the mark. You miss the point. And in a way, really, it speaks of this deviation that occurs when one sins. He a person deviates from his inherently good self uh, because we were we truly believe that we were born good. As uh, as I wrote in in the history of the world, we have yet to meet an evil baby, but unfortunately, with life. We amass all sorts of bad habits mm-hmm. that deviate us from our real goodness, from our real purpose. And that is what sin is, that deviation. The, uh, the, the recognition of maybe uh, born innocent in the sense is, is certainly present. But we also have, uh, I think, both David and Solomon writing about uh, being born with with an inclination that has to be tamed, an inclination towards evil, right? There is the inclination towards evil as there is the inclination towards goodness. 
Which is why we need to marry ourselves to God, I suppose, right? That, that's right. Because the deviation could be the deviation not just from your true self, but it could be the deviation from God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, it's almost the same thing. Okay. Because I would add the God within us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we refer to when we speak of the soul. But you're right. The godly we, element within us. The godly us. element, yeah. which mm-hmm. is really our, our, our truer self. Okay. Now, that truer self has two inclinations, a good one and a bad one, an evil one. And we have to, like you said, we have to tame those inclinations so that the good inclination prevails each and every time, which is a a hard level to achieve, but it's certainly doable. And uh, in a way, I think it's a conversation that our society doesn't have enough because we speak so often about, as we've spoken about, about the bad out there. Mm-hmm. We, so we fight racism and sexism, bigotry, and we become experts at that. What about the bad in here, in my own being, in my own Everyone psyche? Everyone wants to fix the world. No one wants to fix himself. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. And that really is what we have to fight in order for us not to deviate, in order to, tru- to remain true to our deeper self each and every day. Because there is a spark of the divine in each of us no matter what, right? That's correct. That's right. Exactly. Um, and by the way, the flip side of this, if I may add, is, is the word repentance mm-hmm. because it's interesting that the word repentance in Hebrew also does not mean repentance. It means it's return, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It is the word teshuvah, which means to return. Yeah. Because what am I doing when I'm repenting? Yeah. I'm simply returning to my true self. Uh-huh. So sin is a deviation uh-huh. and repentance is a return to that true self. The other word I had learned over time – being accused of committing many of them is avera, mm. which I looked up as meaning a crossing over in direct translation. Sometimes that's used for the consideration well, sin. of sin, yes? That, that's right. And avera is a crossover. It also comes really from the word, which is interesting, it comes from the word past as the past tense because someone who sins very often is stuck in the past. Uh-huh. He doesn't see his new, good, divine self that is being reborn every day. Uh-huh. Maybe that is a callback to this issue of having the dangerous problem of a too long-term memory and bearing a grudge. Maybe it's related somehow. Right. What we were speaking about yeah. in the previous segment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the shackles of the past truly imprison us. Yeah. And it, they, they do not allow us to spring forth with true freedom into the blessings of the moment. Now, This gets me to the Torah portion of the week that you will be reading from tomorrow uh, during the Sabbath services, and um, it's called Naso, which is counting. Counting. Counting, which is, uh, by the way, if I may, it's another interesting Hebrew word because it's translated as counting, but it really means elevating. Uh Aha. So that puts a whole other spin on counting because – what God wants us to, to, to do when we count is not just count bodies. Uh-huh. He wants us to see the souls. Okay. And when we see a soul and we count a soul, we elevate the person. We say to that person, hey, you're so high. Look at the divine being that you are. Let me elevate you there. That's what I see. That's what I'm counting. So counting a soul is elevating a person. So you had said in the first segment something I wrote down. If you saw me writing when you were speaking in the first segment, it was re- really something very close to what you just said, was, was postulating the question, can we have a soul without a body? Can mm-hmm. we appreciate the soul beyond the body? Right. 
And in this portion, I wrote it down because in this portion, there's this very curious thing of, of help me again, Nazar. Mm-hmm. Nazar. That's right, Nazar or which Nazarite. Is, which, how would you define that person? Nazar is someone who consciously decided to separate himself from uh, the materialistic world that we live in. A wholly pure person who does uh, almost – we might think of him in uh, English word might be ascete, but someone who denies all worldly pleasures, maybe even like a monk. That's so, right. Okay. Yeah, I would say that's a good comparison. And the biggest rule I find in there is that this person cannot let alcohol pass his lips because mm-hmm. he can't have any te- any intoxication whatsoever. There are other things. And there's this other curious rule for him that he can't approach a dead body. Mm-hmm. And I was – there's a lot of commentary on that right. as to why. And the one I was interested in that I read uh, reading up on this a little bit was one theory – one theory, I would love yours, is that uh, a dead body um, makes you just look at that material person, just the body mm-hmm. and not the soul and that the Nazar is supposed to only see the soul. It's a ve- thought anyway. Ve- very good. That, that's exactly right and in a way that Not is, to see the physical, I should say. Right. And that is the explanation behind a very dignifying, I should say, Jewish custom that when a person and as a rabbi have attended those those terrible moments yeah, sure. too many times yeah. but when a person passes on yeah. then the Jewish custom would tell you to cover the person's body entirely right. to take that sheet and ah, cover the person why. and then the second thing that this Jewish custom would tell you is to open the window uh-huh. we cover the body uh-huh. because we don't want to judge the person as a body we open the window to allow the soul to leave so that we can focus more on that soul that is leaving rather than on the body that surely does not define the person. We have spoken before about when you have to meet up or be in a meeting with or an encounter with what you might perceive to be a difficult person, that a good piece of advice is try to see them for the soul that they are rather than the person. We're out of time. I have Mm -hmm. notes and notes to go with you, so maybe we'll carry over some of this into next week. But I can't let it go without saying that this is also the portion of the week that gives this priestly blessing. Mm -hmm. And if anyone wants to know what the priest's hand should look like, he should watch Star Trek. (laughs) Right? This is where Leonard Nimoy got the Vulcan. Very good. Or a good Leonard Cohen concert. He would end end the concert with a priestly blessing too. Rabbi Pinchas Salush, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Seth. Always a pleasure. Until next week. I'll be right back. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy, folks? Inflation, possible recession, people keep talking about it, stock market volatility, bank failures. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? Why Refi has just that, a portfolio where you can also turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal. If you need your money back at any time, there are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. Y-Refi is headquartered and based here locally. Uh, I and they encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. Uh, You won't uh, be asked to sign a thing. You won't get a sales pitch. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you will too. A due diligence approved firm, you can earn up to a 10-point to 5% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, 
the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I was thinking about so many more questions I had for Rabbi Alush on, uh, on our and from our conversation, and um, especially having to do with this portion um, that comes from the Book of Numbers, where you do get what is known as the priestly blessing, interestingly, where Leonard Nimoy got that Vulcan, what is it, a Vulcan salute or Vulcan greeting, Vulcan handshake. It's the, it's the, same, it's the, same, uh, it's the same thing that he saw his grandfather doing in conveying those blessings. And one of the things that one learns in the Book of Numbers and in this part of it is that when a man or a woman commits a wrong towards a fellow human being, that too is a breaking of faith. Uh, that's inherent in the blessing of the decency we owe to each other, um, even if not for selfish or egotistic reasons, or even just because we have to get through the meeting or the conversation or the day. It's because that's what God wants more than anything else. And there's some interesting other statements in the book of Numbers about the importance of marriage and wedding vows. And I can't help but think that it all relates back to what the rabbi and I were discussing with regard to the importance of keeping those commitments as we have with God. So when we think about our interactions with fellow human beings, uh, maybe this weekend we can think about uh, our avoidance of committing wrongs against them as keeping our faith with God or your higher power, whatever you may want to call it. Well, thank you for spending some of your week with us. David, thank you very much for everything this week and today. Audience, we love you so dearly and very much and take none of you for granted. Wishing you a great weekend. Until Monday, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.